So whether you know it or not, we have a, uh, whether you know it or not, the staff had, and all of the people involved in the way the service flows have a uh, lead sheet that we follow to know when it's somebody's time to do something. I got an email or text message from Edgardo this morning. Says he probably wasn't going to be here because of the agape ministry that uh, we're doing. And so he said if, if he wasn't here that I was supposed to do that prayer that I just did. And so after I sat down after praying that, I looked over and he's sitting over there. So since I took his spot, he's going to come preach for you now. So <laughs> Something tells me he's up to the task. Well, I'm thrilled to see that you survived Black Friday. I watched on some of our TV programs around here to see if I saw any of you being trampled by other people. I didn't see that, but uh, Black Friday has a traditional kickoff to what I have come to call the hectic season, and uh, it's already getting hectic, and I, I, I know that for the next... Oh, by the way, Elvin gave you a choice whether it's still Thanksgiving or Christmas. I'm not giving you the choice. We start our Christmas series right now, so uh, Merry Christmas and all of that. For the next four weeks or so, four weeks and a little bit of change, uh, we're going to be locked into the hectic season around here. And all of us in a variety of levels will be participating in parties. Be careful with that. But also with buying gifts and decorating, generally celebrating, hopefully worshiping, and all of the things that we do, I hope that we will be embracing of the Christmas season and what comes with it most of the time. But if we're honest as Christians, and we should be, if we're honest as Christians, we all would probably be able to say in agreement, there are some things that are wrong with Christmas. Not Christmas as it needs to be, but the way Christmas is as we know it. For instance, many of us have grown really tired of the commercialization of Christmas. I have a new Christmas tradition, at least it's new for me, over the last several years. I started a Christmas tradition to try Christmas commercial that comes on TV. You know when the first one that I heard this year was? It was in the early part of September. Now, that's pushing it for me a little bit. And, and if you'll watch your television, I don't know if any of you watch TV or not. I know a lot of you just kind of do net this time of the year. I was looking last night. Our kids have been here. I'll give you more about that in a few moments. But our kids have been here. And so when I collapsed onto the couch last night after putting them on an, on an airplane, we flipped on the television and every commercial seemed to be something about Christmas and what you can buy even if you missed Black Friday. Because after all, tomorrow's Cyber Monday. Consider the commercialization of Christmas, and many of us, especially those of us really sensitive to the real reason for the season, kind of something that we might say is wrong with Christmas. Not just the commercial, commercialization, but also the secularization of Christmas. Over the last, I don't know, five years, of the war on Christmas, or at least our perspective of what we call 
a war on Christmas. I, I, I started to quote something from a blog that I read yesterday from a guy who considers himself not to be Christian and not to be part of the whole uh, Christian movement of our day in any kind of sense. And he himself, not as a believer in Christ, but he was talking about how the secularization of the holiday has just gotten out of hand. And so we have this war on Christmas. And so we, in our defense mechanisms as as Christian people, have responded with things like, well, you know that Jesus is the reason for the season. And let me say with all the love that I can muster for you, that's not necessarily true for some people. Some people don't believe that Jesus is the reason for the season, and for them the reason for the season is the season itself. It's holiday. It's a reason for us to party. So the commercialization, the secularization, and then finally, this is the one that really trips me up most of the time. It's the expectations of Christmas. Let me ask you, help me out here, would you? No, don't answer out loud. I don't want you to do that right now, but... um, who really is supposed to get a gift? Who are the people? What, what is the etiquette of Christmas gift giving that helps me know who I'm supposed to give a gift to? Because I have some people tell me that it is a must that I give a gift to my barber. I'll wait while you catch up. Or maybe the mailman or the delivery person or if you go to a hairdresser of some kind or a hairstylist or whatever the right terminology is these days. Who is it that you're supposed Teachers, are you supposed to get a gift from your students? And all the teachers are going, well, my mom was a teacher. I saw some of those gifts. I might have re-gifted a few of her gifts at white elephant parties. Sometimes the business of Christmas and the expectations that come with it are just enough to, for us to step back and go, you know, there's just something wrong here. I don't want this year in our Christmas series, I don't really want us to focus on what's wrong with Christmas. I start with that just to kind of position you uh, in thinking so that we're on the same page here. I don't really want us to spend a lot of time this year thinking about what's wrong with Christmas. Instead, I want to talk about and us for to consider together what's right with Christmas. Because I happen to believe that uh, as we plow our way through the hectic season, as I call it, there are some things about what's wrong with it that give us the opportunity to make it right. And as a church on mission, as a church with a vision that says that we will reach out and we will connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, that we will intentionally build bridges into parts of our borderlands society, that we will find ways to build those bridges. And one of the best times, one of the best opportunities we have is during the Christmas season when most people, at least some people, at least give a tip of the hat to Jesus being born on Christmas. So let's talk about what's right with Christmas. And over the next four or five weeks, uh, we're going to talk about a number of different things. These are going to be a little bit unorthodox as it relates to Christmas passages. 
I'm not going to go back through some of the things that you might expect this time of the year because we're in the process of fleshing out a vision that says this is what we will be as a church and how we will go forward. So with that in mind, take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, we pick up the story that uh, the, the gospel writer is giving us. He's following the life of Jesus. He's still relatively early in that ministry. And Mark chapter 6 and verses 30 and following, we have the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Again, not necessarily your go-to Christmas passage, but I suggest that there's something for us in this passage as it relates to our Christmas experience going forward. And that is the crowds that we will encounter give us the opportunity to celebrate and to emphasize what is right with Christmas, especially for a church on mission. When we came last Sunday evening to our church annual Thanksgiving service. It was also the same time that we were doing the lighting of the square downtown and all the holiday stuff, and it was difficult to get here. Did anybody miss the supper because you were stuck on the interstate trying to get here? I happened to be one of those who did not quite get stuck, but almost. And I was amazed at the number of people that I saw that had to park way over on this side of the interstate in order to get downtown, and they were walking in big family groups to get downtown. There's a lot of crowd surfing that happens at Christmas time. So here's the first thing that we find from this passage, and I'll read it in just a moment, but here's the first thing I want you to get. It's hectic out there. What we're going to find as we step into the days immediately in front of us is that it's just hectic out there. We pick up the story in Mark here where Jesus' disciples are returning from a trip. If we go back earlier into the chapter, and I'm not going to do that with you now, I'll just point you to it. Earlier in chapter 6, Jesus sends his disciples out. He sends them on a ministry trip. And if you'll go back and read those verses later, you will find that he sends them out to do the exact things that he has been doing. And now they come back. And as they come back to where Jesus is, they find that the popularity of Jesus has continued to grow while they're out, probably even more so as these disciples get out in the various parts of the countryside and they're talking about Jesus and what he's doing and they're doing some of the things that he was doing and it pushed people to where Jesus was. And so on that northern part of the Sea of Galilee, the shore there, all of a sudden now we find these crowds that begin to press in. And as they come into where Jesus is, his disciples are now coming back. And notice in verse 30, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told them, or told him, all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. As we come into this, I want you to notice the term that Mark uses in verse 30. He doesn't refer to these disciples as disciples. Mark refers to them here as apostles. The word literally means the sent ones. The ones that Jesus had sent out, now they have come back. That's an interesting term. And for Mark to use that term here, he intends to make a point. These disciples are no longer just to be known as the ones who follow Jesus. They're the ones who Jesus sends out. By the way, that's important. The reason I'm pausing over this right now is because we have the same designation. We don't quite carry 
the importance that these guys did in this first generation of followers of Jesus. But Jesus, in no uncertain terms, we find throughout the Gospels, has given us the same charge. Go out. Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 says, among other things, make disciples. But as you're making disciples, you do that as you are going into the world in which you live. Nobody who knows much about the Gospels and the message of Jesus Christ would argue with the fact that Jesus still sends his disciples out into a world desperately needing him. And so these apostles come back, and we carry the same charge that they carried. Matthew chapter 5, we find Jesus referring to us as salt and light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We carry the same designation these guys did. The same charge. We're called to go out into the world. And in our terminology, in November of 2018 at First Baptist Church of El Paso, our terminology says that we are called to go out. We're sent to build bridges into a community that is full of people who desperately need life. It's our calling. And he sends us. I would suggest to you that this is one of those things that we might get a little bit wrong sometimes in our Baptist world. I'm not knocking us as Baptists. I am one. I am one on purpose, so that's not really the intent here. But a lot of the times our our discussions uh, center on how do we do that as a church. And that's a good discussion. And we're, a matter of fact, we have a task force that's been put together and, and voted on, elected by you as a church. And they'll begin working in the uh, first part of January to help us as a church figure out how do we build bridges in this community? How do we reach out and connect people with the love and the life of Jesus? How do we do that strategically? But we can give so much thought to that and so much importance to it on a church-wide level that we somehow convince ourselves that we're not responsible for doing that personally. You see, the reality, I think Jesus had more in mind here when he's talking to his disciples and sending them out. He had more in mind than just saying, there are going to be a bunch of churches out there one of these days, and all those churches together will have an opportunity to spread the word of God. He intends you to do that, just like he intends that I do it. You are the bridge, or at least a bridge. And in this Christmas season, with all of those crowds... You know what it takes to have a crowd? People. Let's not forget that because the people that God has placed, well, you remember what I've said a number of times now over 16 months. God has strategically placed you in a circle of people who desperately need life. You're the bridge. So as disciples come back, I know that you thought I got away from that, but You can't just overlook the apostles' word there in verse 30. So now, as these people, these disciples come back and they begin to report back to Jesus, they encounter these crowds. And it's hectic. It is extremely hectic with what we find here. 
And so we see again, there's a couple of verses here I want us to come back to, verses 31 and 32. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. I've had several of you ask me this morning already, so your family was here, uh, how was it? And here's my answer. I'll just give it one time for everybody. My family was here. It was loud. It was really loud. <laughs> my goodness, it was loud. <laughs> so here's a good truth for us. Where the crowds are, and, and we're going to be going out into those crowds. You, if you go to one of our malls or to the fountains over there or the new place over on the west side, wherever you go to shop, you're going to find crowds. When you find crowds... You get hurried and harried people. I think that's part of what the disciples immediately encountered as they came back. The disciples are there, and they're the ones who follow him, and so they try to get to him. And Jesus sees the situation, and he reads his disciples well enough. He says, come on, guys, we need to pull away from here. We need to get to a place so that you can rest a little bit. So we we can get so consumed with the season that we're in that it makes us hurried and harried. And we get worn out if we're not careful. I took my... both of my sons and my son-in-law uh, on a hike while we were here, and we went up towards Mammoth Trunk. We didn't make it all the way up there, but we at least made it up to the ridge. And my, these guys are, you know, of course, obviously, I'm the dad in the bunch. I'm the old guy. I'm the fat guy. And so these younger guys, the youngest one just turned 30, and so they're, work, they're, they're just running up the trail. And I told them, I said, I'll get there. I'm just slow, just like the turtle in the race, slow and deliberate. That's me. And so we all got there. They got there before I did. And after we got up there, spent a little time, we came down. And we got, we got down and got in the car. And I mean, those guys didn't have a word to say. Nothing. We got back to the house. And Teresa, <laughs> Teresa and I watched as these guys just laid out on couches everywhere. They didn't have much to say. My son-in-law, the youngest of the bunch, uh, went to bed at 7.30 that night. <laughs> so yesterday while we were taking them to the airport... I said, so what happened to you? You man up, man. You can go to bed at 730. He said, man, that, that took it out of me. I was tired. I, I needed to rest. But he said, now that I've rested, he's, he slept 12 hours almost. He said, now that I'm rested, I, I'm thinking, I, I, I feel good. You know, rest does that for us. Rest helps us be better. Jesus knows that, not just about his disciples then, but about us today. And sometimes we need to pull away from everything and recharge. I want you to watch over the next couple of weeks the truth of what we find with these disciples. Ministry is draining. When you give of yourself into the life of another person and you invest in them, it is a draining thing. And if you're not careful, it'll drain you from your resources. Jesus knows that. 
Here's what I want you to do over the next few weeks. We got Living Christmas Tree. Elvin talked a little bit about it. I hope that you'll help us in the various places sign up. One of the greatest blessings I got in my first year here was watching this church mobilize for Living Christmas Tree and all the pieces that go into it. So I know that you'll do that, and we appreciate that so much. But I want you to watch the faces of our choir members over the next three weeks because they're giving of themselves on high levels. And you'll begin to see the fatigue set in on their faces. And when you do that, pray for them. And if you're one of them, find some place to pull away from it all, to carve out a little bit of time and rest. Because ministry is draining. I'll show you why that's important in just a moment. But ministry is draining. It's never-ending One of the best pieces of coaching that I got early on in ministry was one of my mentors who said, Mark, one of the things you're going to find to be true about ministry is that you're going to have to come apart. From time to time, you've got to do what Jesus did with these disciples. You're just going to have to come apart from all of the press and all of the chaos and all of the crowds, and you come apart from all of that and rest. And then he said, because if you don't learn to come apart like that, then you will come apart emotionally and otherwise. So in this Christmas season, I want to encourage you to find some time and find some space to rest. Because if you don't, the nature of the hectic season is such that we will become more and more insensitive and dismissive of people in the crowds. The very people that we are called to reach will suffer if we don't handle our spiritual business well. Because when we get tired, maybe I'll just talk about myself here instead of you. When I get tired, uh, it's easy to get selfish. And it's easy to get dismissive of people. So be careful about that. Follow the lead that Jesus gives here. And in this Christmas season this week. Now, Colin is our middle child. He's the one who's a youth minister, and he's now two months into a new job at a new church. He's the executive youth pastor for a church that has four campuses, and so he's over all of the youth ministries for those four campuses. He's two months into that job, and when he got here, he was worn out. I mean, I talked to him, and he said, I'm just tired, Dad. And I said, I I suspect you are. And he's learning a new church and a new system and a new job and all of that stuff. And so when he got out here, and, and, okay, so let me tell you what was happening in our house. All right, so at one point, we had 11 people there. Well, actually, seven adults and two children under age one. And one age three a three-nager, as his mama called him at one point, and then a six-year-old. It was loud, and it was exhausting. And there were people all over the house. And uh, every once in a while, I, I watched my son Colin. Uh, I, I, what caught me the first day is he came up to me. He said, Dad, do you have a Bible here? Hello, I'm a preacher, of course. <laughs> Some some kids never get it, you know. 
well, what kind of Bible you want? Well, I was, he was looking for a particular version. And I said, yeah, I've got one in there. And so I took him in my study at the house and gave it to him. And, and then he just quietly slipped out and went out back into the backyard where it was quiet. And I watched him set up, I guess I would call it a little refuge out there. He went over to one of the chairs in our backyard and took out that Bible, and he read for a little bit, closed it up, and he just got with God. Smart move during the Christmas season for all of us when our world is full of crowds who are insensitive, we need to pull apart. Here's the second thing. I just got through saying it's going to be hectic out there. Here's the second thing is people can become or can be insensitive and selfish. I've already talked about this a little bit in my own life, but let me push it out into the text. And I'll, First of all, our oldest son, when he was younger, uh, he was probably mid-elementary school, fifth grade maybe, uh, our cousins were at our house, and uh, he and his cousins were at our house, and my brother and his wife were there, and so we were doing the adult thing in the kitchen uh, living room area, and then all of a sudden, Brandon comes running into the room, and he puts his hands on his shoulders like this, and he looks at his mom, and he said, you want to know what makes me mad? Well, yeah, I've been dying to know what makes you mad, son. And then he began to tell us how some of his cousins apparently did not adopt the set of directives that he had for them at that particular moment. And so they rebelled against what he wanted, and it made him mad. There's a whole other sermon in that that we'll put off for some time. But let me just pull us all into this. Each of us has that internal code that we expect other people to follow. And if other people don't follow our code, then it makes us mad, or at least it has some kind of an impact on us. So let me tell you what makes me mad. Slow walkers. Now, not just generally. Some of us are just deliberate. We're not slow, and I get that. But when, when, you, when I go to the mall, which I try not to do, desperately try hard not to go to the mall, but when I go to the mall or some shopping area, and there are people who are from the sloth family, and they're walking, and they take up the entire space of the hallway, and they don't appreciate that I'm in a hurry. Um, now, you know I'm overplaying this, right? Uh, so I don't want you to you know, be offended or anything if you're a slow walker. That's fine. So it's all good. Okay. I'll shop online. <laughs> See, what happens is when I default to what I want, I get selfish about that, and I get very insensitive to other people. You're the same way. You're just probably better at covering it than I am. It's hectic out there, and when we find these Christmas crowds, we're going to run into people who don't care about what you want. They don't care about your schedule. We've, we saw this yesterday. Teresa and I trying to get out. We had to take two cars to get everybody to the airport. Um, and so as we, we got into what ended up being a dead-end thing in the parking lot, we couldn't get out. And so I was first, and Teresa was behind me. And so we're trying to get turned around at the end there. And this other lady, my wife's over here shaking her head. This other lady comes in in her car, and she blocks us both where we can't get out because she needs to get out. 
She finally figured it out and all was good and nobody had a wreck or anything like that. But here's what I want you to get. In our Christmas season, as we deal with the crowds, we come into these hurried and harried people and they're out for what they're out for. And here's where we can really blow it as Christian people because we want to fight for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. And then we get wrapped up in a personalized, selfish-driven kind of agenda. And we can hammer people like that. I saw this one time. I want you to think as you go through your season, if you go do shopping, think about that clerk who makes her dealing for eight hours with people who are in a hurry and frustrated because of the crowds. That gets me to the text that I want us to see here. Look at verse 33. And they went, excuse me, verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran their own foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. In other words, these people, they don't really care about Jesus and his stuff and all of that. It says, and so, um, verse 34, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Let me stop right there for a moment. Let's just make sure we pull all of this together. Those crowds didn't really care about the fact that those disciples needed rest. They didn't care because they were in it for themselves. It was their agenda that mattered. That's the definition of crowds in our society. My agenda, my deal, my time, and we have to deal with that. makes for a very messy world. This whole thing that we intend to be God. I'll be God. I'll make the decisions. I'll control things. Makes for a messy world because everybody's trying to do that. So be careful as you walk out into that. And we say that we're about building bridges. Just be aware that if you adopt the mentality of the crowds, you'll blow up more bridges than you will build. And we're bridge builders by calling. So verse 34, here we go. Jesus gives us a typical Jesus move. My daughter used to call this a Jesus juke. Look at what happens. And he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. There's that word again. We've seen it several times in 16 months. Jesus sees We could stop for a little bit and I could ask you what you see in those crowds. Jesus sees the crowd and his response is he has compassion for them because they're needy, they're messy, their lives are out of order, and they're drawn to life, and that's why there's a crowd there and the compassion on them, that that emotion. It's really not even an emotion, really. It's this internal thing that happens. It's a very divine kind of a word, a very divine kind of statistic of of element in his life that we also need to carry and that forces him to do these Christmas crowds to which we are called. You need to see them well. And when you see them, it's going to break your heart. Jesus moves to fix them. He doesn't let us off the hook because they're selfish or they're insensitive. He calls us to build bridges. Here's the last thing. You're going to need Jesus to do this. The disciples in this little text, and I'm going to run out of time, so let me just highlight it and you can read the rest of it. 
But Jesus goes and comes to the end of the day, and these disciples are all still there. And so Jesus, uh, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, hey, it's getting late. Won't you send these people into town? It's time to eat. And so why don't you just send them into town, just send them home, let them go eat. Now, that sounds like a good thing, right? It does to me. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good solution. If you've got 5,000 men out there, so who knows how many people total. But it, it sounds like a good solution. Hey, we don't have everything out here. Send them in. It's time to eat. It's time, time to go home. Party's over. It sounds good, but it's just not what Jesus has in mind. Because what Jesus has in mind is, no, you feed them. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is good at putting us on the spot with that kind of stuff. You can be sure that he's going to call you into situations that are going to take more than what you have. That's what he does with them. He puts them in a learning situation. You feed them. Well, what are we, what are we going to do? So you read the passage. You'll see there they round up enough stuff, and Jesus does this miracle. By the way, it's the only miracle other than the resurrection that all four gospel writers include. That means it's important. And in this, Jesus teaches his disciples and us that when we're dealing with those people, we cannot depend on our own agenda. We cannot depend on our own good sense, our own logic, our own reasoning. When we come to deal with people, especially in this Christmas season, we're dealing with the crowds and we see them and we're moved with compassion for them and we have to get involved, don't just trust yourself to get it right. You're going to need Jesus for this. Which takes me back to where we started with that setting aside time and space to come away from everything and hear what Jesus has to say. The story goes this way, that there was in one of those big suburban or urban type settings and one of those big downtown shopping centers in New York City. It was Christmas season, there were people everywhere and so this one group of people crowd onto an elevator and the faces say it all. They've had, you know, fed up with the crowds and all of that. And, and just as the doors start to close, this one guy comes running up and he sticks his arm in, stops the door, and he comes in with all these packages. It's already packed in there. So he comes in and people are rolling their eyes and, you know, the, you know how crowds make you do. And so to lighten the mood once the guy got in and the door shut behind him, he said this. He said, you know, we ought to figure out who started all this Christmas mess and kill him. And somebody immediately in the back of the elevator said this. Oh, they already killed him. They hung him on a cross. Let's not forget this Christmas season. When we come into contact with people that we might not ever see again in a shopping center somewhere, at a company party, wherever it is. Let's not forget that Jesus really is the reason for the season if the reason is properly focused. We're called to build bridges. The Christmas season is a great time to do that if we don't get caught up in what's wrong with Christmas. Let's pray. And as we do, here's my question for you. Do you know Jesus? Do you walk with him? Do you rest in him? Maybe this is a good day as we go into this season.
to recommit ourselves, or maybe for the first time to commit ourselves to him. But as we go into the Christmas season to recognize the opportunity and the calling that we have to build bridges, to connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that? Have you met Jesus Christ? This invitation time is for you to make whatever decision you need to to go into the Christmas season in a proper state of mind. Father, in this moment, we pray that your spirit would have freedom to work among us, that you would touch the lives of people, touch their thoughts, and draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing and you come.